some volume on that. Is that okay? Okay. My name is Tony Bernhardt, and I'm a friend and a student of Sylvia's, and occasionally um, she asks me to fill in when she and Donald are off doing other things. And it's just a treat for me to be here. When Sylvia asked me to, to uh, speak a little while ago, I thought, oh, okay, now what am I going to talk about? So I started thinking. Well, you know, you start thinking. And weeks ago, and I thought, after mulling it over for a week or so, I thought, well, I'll talk about renunciation. That's a popular topic. And we all just go for renunciation. But then as we got closer, we got about a week, week and a half away, I became completely consumed by um, the situation in Iran. Um, how many of you recognize the name Anada Sultan? She's the, the woman who was shot and we've been seeing. Yes, yes. Right. Well, I've just, I, I've, been, uh, I've been living on Twitter. How many of you are familiar with Twitter? How many of you use Twitter? Well, let me, let me talk, a, let me say a couple things about it because, you know, I, after, after not being able to sit down and think about renunciation anymore, I couldn't renounce Twitter. Uh, it was sort of my problem. I thought, well, there's, there's got to be some Dharma lessons in here. And of course, as soon as you start thinking, there certainly are. Twitter, um, hmm. Young people know. In Iran, two-thirds of the population is under 33 wow. years old. Wow. And there's a, lot, there's a lot of skill with the internet there. It's a service. Let me, just, just, let me see if I can describe it really quickly. It's a service where um, you, people can join and have an account. And you post little notes, and they can't be longer than 140 characters long. And people who are tracking you, following you, like my kids, <laughs> um, you know, they are able to see what you're doing at any given moment because you post. You, and you can post from your computer or from cell phones. Um, so you'd say something exciting like standing in line at the supermarket, and then they would know. <laughs> so I joined, and after a week or so, I got bored. <laughs> you know, my daughter would say, waiting for Malia at the dance class. I go, great, I needed that. Um, so, but it allows you to have a collection of people who track you, and of course it can be used by, you know, political people who will, you know, people will track them, and they say things that are way more important. Um, you know, like... Uh, testifying in a committee or complaining about this or that. But there are also these um, threads, these discussion threads that can get started uh, on a topic. And anyone can post to them and anyone can read them. And I don't know how I stumbled on this, I guess because I was waiting for my granddaughter at a dance class. And there was Wi-Fi and so I was doing the news stuff. It was, a week, it was a week ago. It was the day after the, uh, the Iranian election. And I got referred to Twitter. And um, so I went and looked. And oh my gosh. Um, 
on the, a couple of threads, one of them was just labeled Iran election, the little posts were coming so fast you couldn't read them. Dozens a second. I mean, you would refresh the screen and there'd be 200 new ones. You couldn't read them all. And they recounted in live time what was going on. Um, so I printed out a bunch just to, that I thought I would read just to give you a sense of, you know, it's, it's very difficult for these people to post because the government is tracking them down um, and arresting them for participating. They've closed the internet, but there's, they, haven't, they couldn't close the internet for commercial reasons, but they, they were able to block Facebook and Twitter, but I think of them as, as kids, but they, they were able to work around it in huge numbers. So let me just read some of these so you get a flavor. Uh, if, you've been, if you've been glued to CNN, they weren't following anything at first because they had no, no reporters, no resources, nobody could report. Um, one of my favorite posters is someone who identifies herself as Oxford girl, and I think she's there. You can't really tell. No. Tens of thousands of candles lit throughout Tehran, Mashhad, Shiraz, Awaz. Helicopters hovered overhead as about 200 protesters gathered at Haft Etir Square, hundreds of riot police. They're hitting people in Haftir Square. Three to five thousand people are there, a friend who just left there confirmed. Snipers installed on building tops in Seventir Square. If you catch militia, do not use violence, do not kill him, treat him as your brother. If you advocate violence here, non-Iranian, you help Iranian authorities claim foreigners are to blame for the protests. If you have CB radio, only use when moving, never in fixed location, always off when, our, when near home base. Beware government agents spreading fear on Twitter. Only trust those who have a good record on Twitter. There are links. They can post a, a link to another website. And here's a link. Help for hiding your identity on the internet. Here's a link. Rafsanjani controls much of the army. Until now, he is silent. After trigger event, he will act. Iran also, uh, one of us is badly injured and we cannot take to hospital, treating with trusted doctor but needs hospital. We are having difficulty getting updates to you as many of our contacts have been erected, arrested. Life here is very, very dangerous. If possible, buy CB radio for communication between group, groups, but be careful, use what, while mobile. This is an interesting one. Queen Rania from Lebanon posts, the Iranian people have the virtues of a great civilization running through their veins. We love you, Iran. Mm. Alert. If you know any hackers, take down the Basij site. They have photos, they're looking for protesters, and a link to the site. Siemens and Nokia help Iranian government censor text messages. Never buying their shit again. Mm -hmm. 
I know. What? Most are in English, but there's some that are in uh, Farsi, and Google created a translation site, so you can copy them, paste them in, and Tehran, 6 p.m., thousands are now in Haftir Square, clashes after tear gas fired, general strike Tuesday. Warning on Islamic Guard website, they will crack down on protests, but many commanders privately say they will not. <clears throat> tweets calling for violence, tweets are the name of a post to Twitter. Tweets calling for violence, most probably government spies, keep the principles of peaceful protest. Riot police attacking hundreds of protesters with tear gas and firing live bullets in the air. Unconfirmed, Rafsanjani has votes to remove Khamenei, needs secure support of army, regime may attack Qum. Prophet Muhammad says signs of the hypocrite. When he speaks, he speaks lies. When he is trusted, he betrays his trust. Mm -hmm. Do not be scared. We are all together. And it just, it's just a flood. And they link, they link to to other sites, mostly YouTube. So there's video. And some of these videos are just stunning because they'll show a picture of a crowd and everybody's got their cell phone up in the air. Everybody's recording everything. It's thousands of eyes. There was one that I, I found particularly striking. It was, uh, done, it was done intentionally. It wasn't done on the street. It had a series of, of people, um, Iranians, and they were holding up signs in Persian. So you couldn't read it at first. And then it came up with subtitles translated. And it was like, it reminded me of that, uh, the opening of that first Bob Dylan movie where he stood and he, you know, and yeah. sorted the cards, you know, with the signs. So they would hold up a sign. And I thought, you know, okay, Musavi is not, who's the, 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 uh, the alternative candidate. I mean, he's not a liberal by any means. He was the president of, of Iran in the 80s. He, he was part of the, the uh, Islamic Revolution in 79. But the spirit of freedom is just amazing. So, so this was one person after another, and it lasted about a minute and a half of video. And they would hold up a sign, and the signs read, one after another, defending civil rights, acting against poverty, reducing international tensions, free access to information, support single mothers, dealing a blow against violence against women, education for all, increasing public safety, Rights for ethnic, religious, ethnic and religious minorities. Public participation. We are asking for change. You know, even if the, even if the manifestation of that spirit is going to be a continuation of an Islamic Republic, even if the freedoms are not going to be expressed institutionally, 
the spirit is there. And we recognize that. But you know, we're left, here we are. And we're left with the media reports. We're left with Twitter or Facebook. We're left with CNN or NBC or whatever. We're left with the New York Times. And there's, there's an odd disconnect that I wanted, that I've, I've just been exploring for, for this, this past week particularly. You know, if we look at, at our lives, how we're living here, <clears throat> this is a wonderful spot in terms of the history of the planet. We have amenities that, boy, just didn't even exist for kings. Most, most of the history of the planet. If there ever were a heaven realm on this planet, we're living in the heaven realms. But we've got the soundtrack from hell. And we suffer with that soundtrack. It's painful. You know, when, when uh, the president was asked if he'd seen the uh, video of uh, Neda dying, he said, yes, it was heartbreaking. And he paused and then he repeated it again, heartbreaking. And we're left with that. And we encounter a huge portion of our experiences is, is interpreted and presented that way. <clears throat> if you encounter a, um, a child who's crying, the response is automatic, right? I mean, you just, you, are you okay? You pick it up. Isn't that, if someone, you know, is, well, the people in Iran, <clears throat> someone gets beaten on the street and everybody goes to help. It's just what we do. But if you see a picture of someone getting beaten on the street, if you see a picture of someone getting shot and dying, if you see a picture of a child crying, you, what can you do? And what are you left with? The Buddha talks about the our experience in terms of what he calls the sense bases. There are six of them. There are five senses that we are familiar with, and he includes the mind as, as the sixth. And he says we like pleasant experience, and we don't like unpleasant experience. And when pleasant experience comes along, we cling to it. We want it to last. When unpleasant experience comes along, we push it away. We don't want, to, we don't want it to be, to continue. And that impulse to not be with things as they are, to make a change, to make it last or not last, is the heart of, of our suffering. We don't like things the way they are. It can be devastating. And we all, we all can, can recall that from moments of our, of our deeper grieving when the world isn't the way we want it to be. 
and the suffering that, that, that comes with that. Just not wanting it to be the way it is can make us sob in agony. The sixth sense base is the mind. And I, I think often that our problems aren't, I, I think of it this way, it's not the problems with the thermostat. It's not that it's too warm or too cold or too loud or too soft. Those things can be problems. But the problems that cause us the deepest suffering are related to the suffering in our, in our mind, the, 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 uh, the mental sense base, the objects that arise, our understandings. the understandings in our, in our mind. We like our opinions to be in accord with our, you know, we like opinions to be in accord with uh, what makes us happy. We cling to our, our ideas about the way things are. You know, our opinions, the stories we tell, the stories which we use to identify what's going on. These fall under the aggregate of, of perception. What's going on? The mind labels, it identifies what's going on. It's an automatic function, the Buddha said. Nidda appears in the, the sixth sense base, in the sense base of the mind. And when we recall her and the way she died, it's, it's sad. The sadness is very, very striking. How do we hold that? Hmm. How do we hold the people who are complaining that the president isn't doing enough? He should be, you know, I think of John McCain singing Bomb Bomb Iran to the tune of Barbara Ann. Beach Boys would be rolling in there. But, and, and how do we react to that? You know, we have these things show up in our experience, in our mind, and we react. We anger, irritation, sadness. Disagreement is unpleasant. Right? We don't like disagreement. Anybody here love it? just indulge in some disagreement here. Let's <laughs> disagreement is unpleasant. The Buddha said there's no and there's no view, no idea, no thought, no story that is without suffering. Because every view is subject to disagreement. Someone can can disagree with almost anything. And no view is permanent. Joe and I were talking this morning about, maybe, maybe we weren't. Maybe, we, get, maybe, we, were, maybe we weren't. We were talking this morning. <laughs> and now I'm wondering whether we were talking about Galileo? No. Yeah. Yes? No, okay. So it was just a fantasy of mine. So. <laughs> you know, about how we think back, how quaint it was for people to think that the sun went around the earth. Oh, yes, we were. 
And and now we think of we think of that as terribly primitive because we know the Earth goes around the Sun, but who knows what new reformulation of cosmology is going to, you know, happen? And they say, well, they used to think the Earth went around, the Earth went around the Sun, but we know it's just some gravity trap and a warp of space time. I don't know. <laughs> of course, I don't know. If I knew, you know, um, but we cling to our ideas of how things are and. And we hardly know anything. Ninety percent of the universe is dark matter. We know it's there. Oh, we don't know it's there. People who measure this stuff know it's there, but they don't know what it is. But they know it's, I mean, ninety percent of material existence we don't know, even have a clue about, except that it's sort of there. We have views about it. How old is the universe? 18 billion? 7,000? Well, we can laugh about 7,000. We can laugh about 18 billion. You know, the Buddha talked about, you know, hundreds of Mahakalpas. So, you know how long a Mahakalpa is? I love this one. This is, it, this is how long it took the Buddha to perfect his, himself. A ma- one Mahakalpa is you have a mountain the size of Everest, and every hundred years a little bird flies by with a silk handkerchief in its beak and it brushes across the top of the mountain. When that mountain is worn down, that's one Mahakalpa. <laughs> you know, do we have, we, you know, <laughs> that's an, and there was a hundred of them. So, so we can relax if we're not moving along at a pace. That, you know, our own our own evolution is slow. But we we you know our view of of things, and of course, you know, have you ever gotten into an argument over whether the universe is seven thousand years old or seventeen billion years old? <laughs> You know, this poor cashier at my supermarket. <laughs> you know. So, you know, how do we hold these views in a way that do not... And, and I, was, I, was telling, I was telling Joe, you know, we... Yeah. You know, after that encounter with that poor, that, that poor um, cashier, the people in my sitting group heard about it for months because I was really upset. <laughs> I grew up with a, an astronomer for a father, so you know, I, I, I knew it wasn't 7,000 years, but maybe it is. Who knows? You know. So how do we hold these, how do we hold these views in a way that's skillful? Renunciation. <laughs> you know, how do we hold them? Um, we have I- ideas about the Iranian people. When, on the night before, on last Friday night, the night before Neda was shot, everybody was, the, the tweets were 
full of quotes from, from the prophet. And they were things like, they were, they were complaining about uh, the Basij because they were coming into, these quotes from Muhammad, don't enter a house without being invited. And these people were breaking. What happens when we see injustice? We recognize injustice. We react with aversion, anger, um, based on our clinging to some idea of how things should be. I was in a conversation over the weekend with some people and everybody was very upset about this and that. And one of the things people were upset about was the billion and a half dollars that was just approved for the military budget. And I realized that that didn't bother me. And I thought, gee, I need to work up some aversion for this. (laughs) But then I thought, you know, really, whether I have anger about that or not, it doesn't change the fact that it's happened. There's a, you ever heard the, the, uh, the description of resentment as drinking poison and hoping the other person gets sick? <laughs> you know? So no matter how much anger I have or irritation or whatever about the military budget, it doesn't change anything except it leaves me upset. And then I carry that upset around and pass it on. So when we live with this soundtrack from hell and we suffer from it, we experience all of the unpleasantness that comes with that. We carry that around and we pass it on. There's a, there's, you know, a lot of well, Donald is really Donald Rothberg, who sits in for Sylvia, who shares the, the group with Sylvia, very committed to engaged <clears throat> practice. And engaged practice, you know, somebody once said, somebody said, you know, if you're a Buddhist, you're engaged. <laughs> you, you, can't, you can't avoid it. But if the response, if the engagement is coming out of anger, it's very different than it's, if it's coming out of compassion. So when we see the story about Nada, we can respond with sadness. We can respond with anger. When we are aware of a situation where some, someone is harming another, we can respond with anger towards the oppressor, or we can respond with compassion for the victim. Those are the normal responses, right? And if we act out of anger, it's very different. It's, a, it's a, going to be a very different action. The karma will be very different. Um, the results will be very different than if we act out of compassion. But the trick, from the Buddhist standpoint, would be to respond compassionately to the Vasiji, 
to the to the oppressors, to the people who are. Oh, you know, I should have brought Thich Nhat Hanh's poem, "Call Me by My True Names." Some of you will know it. If any of you happen to have it sitting handy in a notebook, I'd, I'd read it. But he talks about how he, you know, I am the sea pirate, and I'm the girl who throws herself into the ocean after having been raped by the sea pirate. You know, the compassion for the person suffering is obscured by our own anger. How do you hold Rush Limbaugh? <laughs> you don't have to really hold him. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but you know what I mean. You know, are we able to even see him through our own irritation and anger? You know, if the first noble truth is that suffering comes with the territory, all beings are experiencing that dissatisfaction. And so we are, we, we cling to our opinions, our views, which are subject to well, they're subject to disagreement. And do we see past them? It's difficult because of our ideas about how things, how things are. How do we maintain mindfulness of our own thoughts without being caught up in the thoughts? Because most of our disputes are over abstract thinking, the way we think things ought to be. Somebody else doesn't think that, you know, we get into disagreements. There's that line from the early Dylan song, abstract threats too noble to neglect deceived me into thinking I had something to protect. And so we don't see, so we respond with anger, compassion for the victim. You know, we're, we're, um, we side with the, with the prey in the, don't we? In, you know, between predator and prey, we side with the prey. You know, we'll save, but there's a story about the Buddha in one of his prior incarnations during the Mahakalpas while he was perfecting his personal qualities, where, you know, he um, was addressed by uh, a bird of prey and said, well, how am I going to survive? And the Buddha's response was to say, well, take, take my own flesh. Um, rather than that of the the uh, rabbit or whatever it was. So we just, it's not that it's wrong or right, just to notice how we side with the victim and we don't side with the oppressor. And yet the oppressor is also subject to the same suffering, the same dissatisfaction that we are. And it's not that we should do this or should do that. Just notice how we have, you know, how our response is different to 
the Iranian government to Ahmadinejad, to the Basiji. The Basiji, most of them, you know who they are? These are the militias. These are, it's not the government people. These are sort of like the militias we got here. Most of them, a large proportion of them, were involved in the Iran-Iraq war. Um, you know, they, they, were, they were soldiers at one time. And, you know, suffered that and have left with the, the damage that that experience would, would create. So we also don't normally think of regarding our own, our own experience with compassion. The suffering and sadness, you know, Jack uh, Cornfield calls NPR the Duca channel. <laughs> you know, just, tu- just tune in. The soundtrack from hell. It's amazing. And it colors what, the way we see the world and the way we live, even though life on this planet has hardly been better anywhere. Just materially, physically. If we eliminated all of the injustice on the planet, all of the social injustice, that wouldn't put an end to samsara. To dukkha, to dukkha, our individual suffering would be still there. Our dissatisfaction with our own impermanence. Boy, we don't like that. Buddha said it's not possible to find satisfaction in this life. Relief, occasionally, it's like the weather. There are occasionally beautiful days. And then there are times of storm. And there's a lot of, you know, sort of the way the weather usually is. <clears throat> but it's not possible to set it up so that the sun is shining. Is that Mose Allison song? If you live, the time will come and the sun will shine and the crops will grow and you think that you're not going to worry no more. But if you live, your time will come. It's built in. We don't like that either. I don't think. It's not just me, right? (laughs) So we should hold ourselves with compassion as well. And our own, you know, we're subject to and exposed to this. You know, and the media is like the the astronomers who, it's 90% of the universe that they don't even know what it is. And the media present its perspective, and we can be angry because they don't present it our way, and there are a lot of people who are. Hey, I should talk more about this, and they shouldn't cover that guy, and they, that's the way it is. You know, it's like complaining about the weather. It's just the way it is. Holding this is really, is really tricky. One of the things the president said um, 
Well, I, I have to say, I just am such a fan of our president. <laughs> you know, which is, it's really unusual for me, um, just in the course of my life, this is, hasn't happened before, so I'm having to learn a whole new relationship to uh, him. So he was, he was speaking last week, um, first time he spoke about the, the, the situation in Iran. And he quoted Martin Luther King, he said, the moral arc of the universe is long, but it bends towards justice. And I thought, that's just wonderful. Is he talking about intelligent design here? <laughs> you know? I asked Steve Armstrong, who's a Dharma teacher, uh, a senior teacher at IMS and lives in Hawaii, was doing a talk on um, free will and the universe. And at one point, I, I went up to him afterwards. I said, my gosh, what you're saying is this is all on automatic pilot. So the impulse to awaken, that has to be built in. Are, are you talking about intelligent design? And without dropping a beat, he said, yes, thank God. <laughs> is the moral arc of the universe bent toward justice? You know, and is it skillful to think that it might be? Or unskillful? Right view, remember the first two elements of the Eightfold Path, right view and right intention, they're linked because your intentions are formed in terms of your understanding of the way things are. If you think one person is hurting another, you may rush to this person to help them, and maybe that's not what's going on. You know, we, Our house sits right next to a park, a little park, a neighborhood park. And yesterday I was sitting and reading and I heard a, a child screaming, just screaming. I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I got up and went and because my something's going on. I went out, well, yeah, I was screaming, he was throwing a fit. <laughs> you know, it was very cute once I saw what was going on. But your initial take, my initial take wasn't necessarily right. But I acted on that understanding. Ah, crying could be, and you act on your understanding. And if your understanding is diluted, well then you're likely to act out in ways that are not helpful, that will enhance suffering, enhance dissatisfaction, and not attenuate it. <clears throat> and really skillful action is about attenuating suffering rather than enhancing it. So is the moral arc of the universe bends, does it bend towards Justice? You know, if you think that, you're likely to behave or respond or hold the events that arise in experience differently than if you think that it's, that, that the universe is indifferent, uncaring.
So what's skillful, what's not? It's, it's hard to know. Any one of these tweets, you know, CNN, if you watch CNN, CNN says, well, they've, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm thinking, well, CNN is now reading Twitter to those of us who can't <laughs> manage the computer. CNN, reading Twitter to older folks since 2009. <laughs> 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 That's going to be their new, uh, their new slogan. But they make disclaimers all over the place. You know, we don't know whether this is true. It's somebody, somebody, we don't know who they are. You know, unconfirmed, unconfirmed. You know, that's constantly, uh, they're reporting it. But they're, you know, after, after you see thousands of them, it's a, it's a different experience. But any one of them, how do you hold, you know, how do you hold any one of these? Well, you sort of recognize it. You know, and, and we react to it. It's a thought. It's like a thought in our mind. We react to it. But, you know, we can hold it tentatively. We can say, well, we don't know. Uh, there was um, Zen master uh, Sung San, who was uh, the founder of the Cambridge Zen Center, a Korean Zen master used to urge um, his students to cultivate don't know mind. Don't know. <coughs> At the deepest level, don't know. Everything we think we know sets us up for suffering. So it's not that we, we say this isn't true. It's that we hold it maybe provisionally, or at least recognize that it's a thought. When we sit, you know, our eyes closed, the thoughts come, and we react to them. You know, the, the repeating thought comes, da-da-da-da-da-da, and we go, oh my gosh, anger, look at this. You can get worked up while you're sitting there with your eyes closed. <laughs> or, you can, or you can collapse in sadness, or you can become terrified. Everything can happen while you're sitting. And it happens while you're not sitting, too. Buddha had a word for the kind of mental proliferation that goes on when one thought leads to another, to another, another. Papancha. You know, just the bubble machine. <laughs> you know, turn off the bubble machine. Um, The media is the same, you know. Things show up, we get reactive. And it's not so much that we shouldn't, it's just that we should be aware of how we react and, and how, you know, how that leaves us. It's not that we should turn off the radio. My gosh, I, Sylvia, I used to have a practice um, that Sylvia uh, talks about often where I used to listen to uh, talk radio, Rush Limbaugh particularly, and Michael Savage, just because it was so hard to do. And my goal was to make, when I was growing up, Sunday morning, the, the whole short end of the radio, AM radio spectrum was preachers. And I used to go through the dial and they were all boring. 
So I was looking for something interesting. And I, my goal was for Rush and Michael Savage and all this to, to be about as boring to me, as, as mundane as those preachers. Because we get reactive, and it's not that we shouldn't. We just need to pay attention to how, how we respond. We don't want to be sad. We don't want to feel pain. And so one of the ways we react when that comes up is with anger. We cover that anger with, or cover that pain, that sadness, with anger. Compassion is difficult when there isn't a being present, when it's just a story or a picture. You know, it's different if you've got a crying baby in front of you and if you've got, you know, the Save the Children ad. And of course that's a setup, you know, the crying baby and when the response comes they want you to make the phone call or whatever. So it's, it's intentionally done. But just to notice the difference between our response to our immediate environment and to the messages we get about it. Because we suffer from this soundtrack. And hmm, the skillful intentions, the Buddha said, are generosity, loving kindness, and compassion. And the unskillful intentions are greed, ill will, and cruelty. We pretty much rule ourselves out on the cruelty one, but maybe not. If we ever, you know, the idea here is to intentionally cause pain. And when we say, you don't get the car in by 10 o'clock on Saturday, you know, you won't be driving it for a month. You know, we're using the stick, threatening the stick, brandishing it anyway. I think that's... That's how I understand cruelty. Not just going out on the motorbike in your black uniform and beating people, or your camouflage pajamas. Whatever uniform you like. So I just notice how, you know, my reaction to the, to the media, to the media displays of what's going on, it brings you the information, but it leaves you without... It's not an interactive thing. And so the interaction happens in our mind. And so being mindful of our thinking, very tough. It's very hard to do. Because when you sit and you start getting lost in thought, you've got to back off a little bit in order to see it as thought. You know, to stay with the breath and watch the thinking going on. Usually you just right into the thought stream. Or that's not just me, right? <laughs> just want to check because I've been doing this for a while, and it seems, <laughs> you know. But slowly, you get, you know, you become aware of your thinking and and of the suffering that that thinking engenders. Is this? Are uh, we live in the in the in the media? Much of the world comes to us through the media and leaves us without an interactive response. 
which occurs in our mind, we need to we we just need to study it. So let me just let me just check in with you guys about this. And if you follow Iran, have similar. I noticed that someone was brought the people of Iran into the group at the end. I was going to speak to that as well. Please. I think for me, my hope is with the young people. Mm-hmm. I see that in, in our country as well. Mm-hmm. Is that young people seem to be looking at the world with a different lens, with a lens of inclusiveness mm-hmm. and a lens of compassion and and of great feeling about about what's going on in the world. And that kind of you know holding that idea is buoyant is buoyant. We like hope and we don't like fear. Right? And both hope and fear are about our image of what's about to come. And if we focus on that attitude of youth, I, you know, it's inspiring. I, I sent uh, Twitter messages to a couple of the uh, uh, couple of the people in, who were posting from Tehran. And they both responded. Well, two of the three responded. I just said, um, you are just such an inspiration to me. And one woman wrote back and just said, freedom. Mm. Oh, it's uplifting. Yeah. I think there is a real feeling of disconnect and that can leave us feeling helpless among other things, angry. And we always have the ability to act in a way that can promote peace or justice. I mean, we can support Amnesty International or we can do volunteer work, Mm -hmm. try to make peace within our family. I mean, I think as long as we leave it in this abstract realm, there is no progress. But I mean, I think that there are things that every day we can do to promote peace or justice. We certainly can. We certainly can. Diminishes that kind of helplessness, no fear, no anger, no rage, or you know, like all that stuff that can build up sure. in the space of inaction. Well, you know, you, I, I, I always think. First of all, I think Amnesty International. You know, in some ways, it's abstract as well. I mean, they may be there. You know, no, no, but, 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 but. This, it's not that there's anything wrong with this abstract thing. It's just that we should notice how we're responding, and we certainly can support amnesty, and we don't send money to Ahmadinejad, you know, um, right? <laughs> just checking, <laughs> you know. But but yes, absolutely. In fact, that that action that is that is motivated out of compassion and and kindness generates more. No, we don't. In fact, we aren't gonna. <laughs> you know, so much of this is not interactive. New York Times is not interactive. Now, I could send a little note to these people in in Tehran and say, you know, take care of yourself on the street. It sounds dangerous. 
can't do that with here. And even just a little note is, I mean, it's something, but it's not, it's not the relationship, the direct relationship with someone who's sitting right in front of you, who you live with, who you encounter on the street. And I think that, like, a lot of us are so involved in TV and movies and the media that we're not asking our neighbors if they're okay, yeah. you know, yeah. or yeah, helping I think, people closer to home. I think, that's, I think that's true. We live in our, yeah. our thoughts. We live in the stories. You know. And we live in the stories, and when I encounter that checker, I've got a story about her, and... I'm still working with her. <laughs> but we're all working with, you know, the Rush Limbaugh's of the world. And not that she's a Rush Limbaugh. But with the people who are difficult for us. We all have difficult people. And knowing, you know, recognizing that someone's difficult, and knowing that we've got work to do. You know, if we don't, if we don't feel compassion for those people, then we know we've got work to do because they're suffering like we are. Please. Were you, did you have your hand up there? Mm-hmm. I was debating whether to say it or not. Oh. <laughs> because I'm, I'm listening to all this. Um, well, my history goes back because I got married in 1978 and moved to France. And so the Iranian siege was during that time and I felt very isolated from America and we didn't have Twitter or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So the history of Iran and what happened between 1978 and today is very uh, prominent in my mind because I lived with a lot of Iranian people who were displaced and came over to England where I lived for 16 years in France and they were homeless. So I hold that always, but what I'm I'm thinking of is that um, we are bombarded so much by the media, and and I am so compassionate by the whole change of the world today, that when more comes, more comes, more comes, um, I am deeply bothered by this, uh, especially when you see a young woman who's over and over again times does one have to see it over and over again? I feel that even giving lip service over and over again is not productive to me because I have the weight of everything here on my shoulders always and just to add another thing I want to ingest it and feel and then let it go because um, I'm not trying to criticize you for bringing this up but we have so much going on in the world today a whole uh, it's hard for me to say this it, it sounds so cold hearted but sometimes I feel that we have to hold it and then let it because there's so much going on for us right here, and we're all experiencing it. And I do feel that we've become a much more compassionate nation, and we are more in touch with other people, and we aren't so enclosed. Maybe it's just my personal experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 
don't believe that um, we're, we're not in touch with others. I mean, this community very much is. Mm -hmm. But I, I'm struggling with the idea of holding these images of this woman and holding this image of this and bringing it home to me is much more important mm -hmm. right here, where I am. So maybe I'm having a little trouble being compassionate. You know, I'm, yeah, and what I'm what is occurring to me as as I'm hearing you speak is just the opening lines from the tale of two cities. It's the best of times and it's the worst of times. We can find it all, you know, depending on what what we what we look for, and and how we hold it. We need to let go of both the pleasant as well as the unpleasant. Because the pleasant is going to change and the unpleasant is going to come. And we have to be present with whatever presents itself. Otherwise, we suffer. One more and then... Well, I've been having this kind of running conflict kind of along the lines of what we've been talking about here. Uh, do I listen to Amy Goodman or do I not listen to Amy Goodman? I listen to Amy Goodman and I'm I'm just so impressed with the depth of thing, you know, the depth they get into about a lot of issues and I learn a lot. And I listen to her for a few weeks and then suddenly I am so depressed I can hardly stand it. I mean I just feel like the world's gone to hell and I can't bear it. So I quit. And I don't listen for a long time. <laughs> so I guess I'm having, I've noticed that, but I just thought, well, you're kind of worthless, I guess, that you're tuning out. But I guess maybe I'm just, as you're phrasing it, having trouble holding all that negativity, and I don't think it's good for me internally because I'm not working with it in a productive way. It's, it's difficult, it's difficult, and there's no should or shouldn't. There's not like, you know, two measures of Amy Goodman, one measure of our president. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's no, there's no algorithm here for happiness. It's something we navigate. You know, we, we have to use our heart and our mind. And we are as aware as we can be and responsive as we can be. But that awareness sometimes just kind of pushes you over the top. Well, and you can get pushed over the top and be unaware at the same time. <laughs> and, then you, and, then, and then you say, how did I get here? <laughs> well, thank you all for your attention. and. Uh, I hope to see you again soon. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.